Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. I'm Michael McCarthy. I'm Tessa Mishazek. And I'm Laura Hamill. And I'd like to welcome our guest from China, Yukin Zhao. Hi, thanks for having me. The Happy at Work podcast is a podcast that has an affiliation with Harvard University and a deep resonance with academic evidence-based criteria on what exactly helps people work better, feel more engaged, more productive. And we'd like to talk to academics around the world. And you can, would you like to start us off and, and share with us your, your bio, your career journey, and what you're doing now in the space of positive psychology in China and around the world? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, yeah. And thanks again, uh, Michael, Tessa and Laura for having me. And uh, this is a great opportunity uh, to share my work and uh, now my bio. So I was actually uh, born in China and raised and educated here. Uh, my my uh, journey was a little bit complicated. Uh, my uh, major in undergraduate period was actually something called uh, chemical physics. It's quite uh, scientific. It's not rocket science, but uh, it's very uh, kind of uh, you know science oriented. Uh, but I don't quite like it. So after I went to the United States, uh, I changed my major to a computer science, and then worked as a computer scientist, actually a computer engineering engineer. Uh, uh, for 12 years, first in Pennsylvania and then in New York City. Um, and during that time, I became interested in positive psychology because I was always interested in the science of happiness. So what exactly can make people happy? I'm not satisfied with the answers from philosophy or religion or some other, you know, uh, uh, to me, not so science-based uh, 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 findings. So I, uh, you know, just uh, looked up what can make people happy scientifically and found positive psychology. And also I found positive psychology also studies meaning in life, which is extremely important to me because I'm, I'm kind of like a meaning animal. So I always want to find meaning in life. Uh, that's why I came to uh, University of Pennsylvania and got into, you know, the same uh, program that we are in, the uh, Master of Applied Positive Psychology. And uh, it really changed me. Uh, so actually, in our graduation ceremony, I told Marty Seligman, you know, the founder of this program and the founder of Positive Psychology, uh, that uh, your you, you program transformed me. So I was totally transformed from a scientific and technology brand, you know, those type of, let's say, nerd or geek type of person to uh, quite, I think, people-oriented and emotion-oriented and uh, body-oriented kind of people. So basically a psychology uh, uh, um, type of people. And then I, I, I said to myself, if this can transform me into a such a flourishing state, this must be able to help other Chinese. Because at that time, it was 2010. 
there were very few people working on positive psychology in China. So I went back to China and uh, uh, at that time, uh, Tsinghua University, one of the most uh, prestigious universities in China uh, was doing positive psychology too. So I came to Tsinghua University and co-founded the positive psychology research center here. And uh, I also got a PhD in psychology. And now I'm working in uh, applying positive psychology in education and in corporate in organizations. Wow, that's amazing. Such a, an amazing career and just need to hear how it's gone for you. I'm really curious. I know there's a lot of things you're interested in, but I'm really curious about what, what specifically within positive psychology are you the most interested in? What kind of area within positive psychology? Well, uh, if you talk about field, it's education and organization. Uh, but uh, actually, there's another thing that I really want to emphasize. It's the uh, applied side. So I remember that when we were in the MAP program in Penn, uh, Marty once asked us, so what's the most important letter in MAPP, you know, Master of Applied Positive Psychology? And everybody answered positive. positive. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And he said, <laughs> no, it's A. Because uh, he was like, you know, we don't need you guys to come here to do more research. Um, uh, which I have to say, I'm sorry, I actually got another PhD and did some research, but anyway. <laughs> um, so he, he really wanted us to go out and apply positive psychology into our fields. Uh, so I actually totally agree with him. So uh, after I got my PhD, actually during my PhD uh, time in Tsinghua University, I was always doing uh, application work. So I'm actually most interested in application of positive psychology. And uh, this is totally different because if you write a paper, you know that you're your PhD. Uh, <laughs> the joke is that, you know, seven people will read it. Uh, one of them Wait. is your mother. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> my mom didn't even read mine. <laughs> my mom didn't read that too. She doesn't even know English. So um, anyway, so, but when you apply it, uh, it's huge. A lot of people say, so like when I was doing uh, applied positive psychology in schools, in education, it's typically like more than 1,000 students in one school. And that's 2,000 parents and uh, teachers, you know, so it impacts a lot of people. So I think uh, the applied side is the most exciting part of positive psychology to me. Do you just tell us one little example of something you did applied, um, maybe even with the example you were just talking about with those kids? Oh, yeah. Um, so let's take one example. Actually, there are so many examples uh, that's coming to my mind right now. So uh, the most interesting thing is that uh, um, I actually started this experiment of positive education in the school that my son is in. Uh, so this is called the uh, Affiliate Elementary School of Tsinghua University. And uh, so um, actually, when I first started, they were quite uh, 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 questionable about this. They, they, they doubt whether this could work. Um, but uh, when they started, and uh, I found the changes in both teachers and the students. So the most interesting thing is actually the teachers because we predicted that this will change the students, right? We knew that because that's positive intervention on students. But the teachers, 
came to talk to me all the time and like, hey, this one changed us. So we become happier. And in the beginning, we only picked like uh, half of the classes in grade five and six, sorry, four and five to do the experiment. And then the other half came to me and said, oh, we want to do the experiment too. And I said, why? They said, two reasons. First, the students in the experimental classes become much happier and easier to, let's say, manage or easier to talk to. They got less problems. And secondly, hey, that teacher becomes more happy. I want to be happier too. So this really uh, impressed me. And uh, the head teacher in my son's class uh, so in China, it's different from the, uh, I'm not sure about the United States, but in China, uh, it's one head teacher in the whole six years of elementary school. So this one teacher, uh, she kept telling me that uh, positive psychology changed her life. So she changed from, uh, uh, she changed to become a more positive and uh, I would say more admirable kind of adorable uh, uh, teacher. She's loved by her students. And uh, I can see that from my kid too. So this what really- What was the intervention? What was the intervention? If you can just summarize that, we all oh, want to know. It's a, it's a quite, quite a big intervention. So we designed something called uh, the Tsinghua Positive Education Program. Uh, it consists of, uh, it's quite like similar to the uh, Jilong Grammar School Program, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So basically, uh, we have uh, classes uh, designed for students of different grades, uh, 10 classes each semester for uh, 12 semesters. So it's a lot. Uh, yeah, so that the teachers can just teach one class pretty much per week to their gotcha. students. So say, for example, this semester, the theme is, for example, a relationship. Oh, so it's based on the PERMA, you know, Marty Seligman's yes. PERMA yes. Uh, model. Gotcha. And we added another one called self. So wow. we call it, uh, yeah, PERMAS. Um, so if this semester is about relationship, Okay, so today you learn how to be grateful. And the next week you learn how to help other people. Next week you learn how to forgive other people. Next week you learn some communication uh, uh, skills, etc. So this is a big package. That's why it yeah. changes people. Wow, really comprehensive. Yeah, That's yeah. So impressive. Awesome. Um, so I had a question, Yukin, with regard to the, because you spent time in the United States and, and after your program at Penn, what were some of the Western positive uh, psychology interventions that you learned in, uh, in the United States or in Western culture that don't necessarily transfer uh, to other cultures? And why do you, what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think that is? Uh, there are some uh positive interventions that we need to tailor to uh, fit into, for example, Chinese culture. Um, this is due to the, uh, you know, some uh, uh, fundamental differences between, for example, the Chinese culture and the American culture. Um, we are more uh, collectivistic and uh, we're more kind of, uh, I don't want to say introvert, but uh, lower arousal in emotions. So for example, a gratitude visit. We know that this is a great uh, intervention and, and it worked. 
uh, it's you know uh, evidence based, uh, but it didn't quite work on me because when I looked at it and I said, well, I cannot do that. I cannot take the letter uh, and read it to that person because this is very high arousal of emotion. And, uh, you know, everybody cried in that uh, intervention and I cannot do that. Uh, so basically, <clears throat> even uh, at Penn, when I was assigned, you know, we were assigned to do those things, uh, I wrote a letter to my wife and I thanked her for everything she did for me, et cetera. But I just could not read this letter in her face. So what I did was I put the letter in an envelope and put that into the mailbox in our home and asked my wife to pick letters that day. And uh, she came back 20 minutes later with red eyes. Apparently she cried, uh, but I was happy because at least I didn't cry. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so when I uh, promoted this intervention in China, I told people that uh, if you find this intervention difficult to do, I understand because even I cannot do that. But do not, you know, skip this intervention because this intervention itself is good. You just skip the high arousal part. So I told them how I did it. Or you can simply, you know, uh, mail this letter to other people, to that person. Or you can, you know, call this person and read it to this person or you video chat which is a little bit easier. Uh, or sometimes you can even just write it and keep it. Don't worry. Uh, I, the only thing I ask them is to handwrite it. Don't type, because type, you don't have emotions in it and other people don't feel it's you. Um, and that worked, honestly. Uh, so I think uh, if we change some of the high arousal parts to lower arousal, it would work. And secondly, it, uh, I think Chinese people are more collectivistic so and more duty oriented this is a kind of uh, uh, char characteristic of uh, the confucianism culture so for example let, let's take uh, gratitude visit again for example um sunia lubramski uh, and uh, her colleagues in south korea actually did a research they compared uh, the uh, intervention of random kindness and the uh, gratitude visit in United States and Korea. And the result was actually very interesting. They found that uh, uh, kindness, act of kindness actually increased happiness in both Korea and United States. But uh, gratitude visit only increased the happiness in uh, United States. It, it actually decreased happiness for Koreans. And the reasons they think is probably due to the fact that, uh, you know, Korean is also pretty uh, Confucianism. So they, when they think about other people, the first thing they think about is the duty, is the obligation. So they actually feel indebted when they do the gratitude intervention. So uh, 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 in China, when I promoted this, when I or assigned this uh, intervention to other people, I always remind them, do not feel indebted because gratitude is a positive intervention and uh, oh, sorry, is a positive emotion and uh, indebtedness is a negative emotion. And uh, sometimes people even feel guilt or regret. They were like, okay, uh, I was very gratitude to my grandmother, but she passed away. I didn't treat her well, etc. So I, I told them, just 
focus on the positive side of the uh, 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 this intervention. Uh, so then I uh, pretty much get the positive feedbacks from them. And uh, thirdly, actually, uh, Chinese people are not encouraged to express emotions. So uh, when they do positive emotion, they always feel, okay, this is not socially desirable. And uh, for example, let's, let's again take a gratitude visit, gratitude letter. Now I call it gratitude letter, uh, for example. Um, so in the beginning, when I assign people to do this and uh, they are always like, okay, this is not good because the first response I got from the person I wanted to thank, it's all, often their spouse or their parents. They're like, is there anything wrong for you? Please don't kill yourself. Or because in, in China, people don't express emotions. And if they express something, like gratitude, which they think is a big emotion. It's always some a sign of someone is going crazy. So yeah, I have to warn them. Okay, just tell them, tell that person, it's your crazy positive psychology teacher forces you to do that. <laughs> it's not your fault. I'm not going crazy. This is a warning, but uh, I want to express my gratitude to you. So yeah, um, this is just an example, but uh, basically, yeah, so we need to think about the cultural differences between uh, uh, culture uh, between, for example, China and the United States, and uh, we probably don't want to force them to do some high arousal and uh, the two, you know, two duty in invoking uh, interventions. Otherwise, they may skip this intervention at all. I love the detail that you bring into why the intervention isn't crossing culture. And uh, when I was in the MAP program as well, I, I went a few years after you, uh, I was talking to a friend in Japan about uh, the three good things exercise. What are three good things that happened in the last day? And my friend in Japan said, we're, we're pretty modest culture and that might come off as bragging. And so again, with your modification, I said, what if you had three things that you appreciate in a day and then you could say the beautiful sky and he said that would actually fly better, which leads me to my next question, because I'm really interested in the intersection of positive psychology interventions and global cultures. Are there positive interventions that you've come across that you have found are cross-cultural without any adaptation? Anything that seems to work everywhere? Uh, I think actually, for example, three good things you just mentioned worked pretty well in China, uh, maybe because there's you know, differences in Chinese and Japanese cultures too, because uh, modesty is even more emphasized in, in Japan. Uh, and of course it's emphasis in China if compared to United States, but it's not as much as uh, in Japan. So three good things actually worked pretty well. And uh, when I assigned three good things to people, actually there were reactions like what you just said, okay, is this bragging? Uh, but, uh, uh, so I told them, as long as you are writing in your diary, right, or you just write in your own, uh, 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 you, you just talk to your family member about three good things, that's not bragging. So I don't see any problems. And I did actually receive some very positive feedbacks. For example, in schools, uh, a teacher told me uh, when I assigned three good things to my students, 
they, they don't write down because they are elementary school students. They just uh, go back to the dinner table and uh, share three good things with their family members. Of course, the parents share the three good things of theirs too. Um, this not only increased the well-being of the family, of the children and the parents, but also increased the relationship between the school and the family. So, because in the beginning, because the, 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 the so-called school family relationship in China is a little bit tricky. Um, so many parents tend to imagine the school was a scary place. So for, for example, me, whenever I receive a phone call from my, from my, my kid's teacher, my first reaction is, did my son beat someone or did someone beat him? <laughs> so, or he got sick, right? <laughs> So it's you know, always... American parents feel the same way when they get those calls from the school as well. So I think that's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's always bad things that uh, you, you think uh, would make the teacher call you. That means we always imagine the, the school as a black box with a bunch of bad things happening. But when they have to do the three good things at home, they were like, oh, schools are not so bad. So my son made a friend today. My son... Uh, learned some new things today, and uh, my son uh, uh, answered a great question. And we can always edit this. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, it'll come back. Come on, you can. Actually, what's nice is that it's a clean break. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got twenty. We got twenty minutes, so we actually have a good a good chunk in here. Oh, we, oh here he comes. Yes. Oh, Hi, hey, there you are. Sorry, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I was, no worries. So, where was I before the? You know what, let's, um, let's start from, you were talking about the, you, right when you went out, you were talking about the, the parents learning about the three good things that happen to their children at school. So the school's no longer a black box. So maybe pick it up from there. A question just for the editing. Would it be better if we just asked the question again, that it would just be a real clean edit. So you just okay. ask the question again, and then we just answer it again. Okay. Okay, so, sorry about that. I don't know. I, I oh, think it's it was problem. your question. It was your question, Michael. Yeah, it was still oh, which which positive interventions are cross cultural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so take two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can, in your perspective, we we love to do positive psychology interventions, especially in diverse communities, uh, international colleges, for example. Have you run across any positive interventions that you have found to be truly cross cultural in your experience? Oh yeah, uh, actually a lot of them. Uh, for example, three good things. They worked pretty well in uh, the Chinese settings. Um, I actually uh, listened to the podcast that uh, when you hosted uh, Laura herself, and you mentioned that three good things actually didn't quite work well in Japan because people think it was bragging. Uh, but uh, actually in China, it, I think it's better because I think modesty is a... Of course, it's a virtue in China too, but it's not as much emphasized as in Japan, though it's probably more than in the United States. So here, when you ask people to write that down in their diary, or uh, for, for example, for students, we ask them to share the three good things 
with their parents in their dinner table. Um, that actually worked very well. Actually, uh, one teacher told me the story that uh, uh, a parent told her that uh, this assignment actually changed the relationship between her and the parent because the parents typically think that the school is a black box. You know, they, they knew nothing about the school. And uh, whenever there's a news, there's a bad news. For example, even me, I'm a positive psychologist, but whenever I received a phone call from my teacher, my reaction is that, did my son beat someone or did someone beat him, right? Or he got sick. Otherwise, the teacher would not have called me. So, uh, but this assignment changed it. The parents can see that there are lots of good things happening in school today. My kid made a friend today. My kid learned some difficult things today. My kid answered a question and the teacher praised him. So this is um, this changed their views of the school. They found that school is not a dangerous place. It's a safe place. It's full of love. It's full of opportunities of friendship. So they no longer worry about what their sons are treated in the school. Instead, they trust the teachers more. So I think this is really um, kind of inspiring and very uh, encouraging to me. And some many other uh, interventions, for example, uh, use your strengths. Uh, recently, I'm doing a positive intervention program in by dance, and uh, the, the, uh, the, those are adults. And I found that uh, when I asked them to first find their strengths and then use their strengths, they were very excited because, you know, typically in especially in China, uh, we always emphasize on find your weakness and fix them. So, and uh, all, so, uh, all the time when they are educated in their uh, adulthood and childhood, they were focusing on what's wrong, but now they are trying to find out what's good about them. And uh, they told me that, okay, I, I'm become more proud of myself and uh, I'm trying to use this strength in my work in, and in my life. And they found good feedbacks from their colleagues and the family members as well. So I think this one is working very well in China too. That's so cool. Curious about your perspective around the role of media and, and positive psychology. Do you see media playing a role in kind of helping the efforts and the, the movement of positive psychology, or do you see kind of the opposite happening? Just curious your perspective on that. I think it's uh, mainly positive. So it's, uh, uh, first of all, it promotes the awareness of psychology among people. Uh, so, for example, uh, 20 years ago, when there were no social media and uh, people actually, when they got some mental problems, first, they maybe didn't even know it's a mental problem. And second, if even if they know, they don't know where to look for help. But now there's, yeah, there's a lot of people talking about uh, mental health problems and also positive psychology on media. So th this greatly raised awareness. And secondly, the, uh, the, the methods and the science and also popular books and blogs, uh, including V-blogs, um, 
is very popular in China right now. Uh, uh, for example, my own uh, Douyin, which is like Chinese TikTok uh, account and my uh, micro blog, which is like Twitter blog, uh, 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 both got more than 100,000 uh, followers so that I can talk about uh, 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 positive psychology and people like it. Um, and I'm actually a small fish. There are some big fishes. Uh, for example, Dr. Kaiping Pen, uh, my uh, advisor in Tsinghua University, and he is just like the Marty Seligman of China, if you think about it. Uh, he got 1 million, more than 1 million fans, uh, followers in, in, in the Chinese Twitter, yeah. So you, you can uh, get information more easier uh, uh, from that. And thirdly, I think uh, we can use social media to do some interventions as well. Uh, for example, in the ByteDance uh, uh, intervention program that I just mentioned, uh, I asked the employees to use social media to uh, ask their friends, uh, what is my strength? This is difficult to do actually, but they, they did it anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, when you, find your strength. There are many ways, right? One is to do the survey and the other one is to do the positive introduction and the other one is reflection. But there's another one is uh, you ask other people. So I just ask them to post this question. And uh, another example is that I once used the social media to do the random kindness uh, intervention. I just said, okay, I got time to help people who member wants to be helped. Just tell me on the uh, on the Twitter, Chinese Twitter. So many people uh, uh, replied and then I just go ahead to help this person. So yeah, I think social media is a great opportunity to uh, disseminate and apply positive psychology. That's wonderful. And um, kind of given the fact that you just talked about social media in particular, do you think there are any generational aspects to positive psychology? Do you see differences in the acceptance of the practices um, or interventions for younger cohorts of or generational cohorts versus older generational cohorts? Yes, there's, uh, there's differences. Um, so the younger generation, for example, the so-called Gen Z, uh, I think they are quite different from Gen X and millennials. I'm kind of like uh, between Gen, Z, uh, Gen X and millennial. Um, so when I was born, uh, actually uh, China was pretty poor at that time. And uh, uh, so we are really grateful for the material wealth that uh, we have today and all the comfort. But uh, these are kind of like granted for the Gen Z. So they, this is good and bad. The good thing is that uh, they actually can pursue something more, let's say, uh, transcendental. So uh, they, they are more like into the higher levels of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, self-actualization. Um, but the bad thing is that uh, they can easily uh, give up. They're like, okay, even if I do nothing, I still got a, you know, a, a house and a comfortable living standard. Why do I need to fight? Why do I need to work hard? Versus our generation, we have to work hard because we have no other choices. And this is our um, working ethics. Um, but this new generation is... I think much more uh, well-educated and creative and independent than our generation. So I, th their quality 
I have to say their qualities are better than our generation. I, I mean, at least intellectually. Uh, I'm not sure about psychologically, but uh, in intellectually, I think they're smart. Uh, and uh, they have lots of ideas that we didn't have. So I think their generation will be quite innovative. Um, however, there are also some serious problems about them. Uh, for example, they, as I said, they take all the uh, wealth or comfort as granted. And uh, they're typically the only child of their family. This is a special problem in China only, but uh, this is actually bad because uh, it's, I think they are kind of like spoiled. Um, so there's a book about Jonathan Haidt called The Coddling of the American Mind. And uh, I think they are the coddling of the Chinese mind. Um, so uh, they kind of take it for granted that everybody should uh, care about them, love them. And uh, so they, they can be easily uh, dissatisfied with the uh, uh, status quo. And uh, unfortunately, the situation is not good for them because, uh, you know, China uh, experienced the rapid growth in the past 40 years, and there were huge opportunities. And uh, pretty much all those opportunities were taken by the Gen X and the millennials, which means if you are a Gen Z, you get into a company and you can find that uh, all those 30 years old and 40 years old are there in the, all the important positions, and they're not going to retire in 20 years. <laughs> and uh, you don't have much hope. And when you go to big cities, for example, uh, Beijing or Shanghai, uh, you can find that the housing price is extremely high um, because, you know, due to the uh, rapid growth. Um, and, uh, but those, 40 years old, those millennials and uh, Jacks don't worry about them uh, because they started when the housing price was here. But now uh, they make more money than the Gen X, Gen Z, and uh, the Gen Z cannot afford the living standard in big cities. And uh, they don't see much hope in the current uh, economical situation either because uh, you know, the, the big boom of technology pretty much uh, slowed down in the past uh, at least five years. So before that, there was internet and mobile app and all the other uh, uh, great opportunities. But uh, in the past five years, five to 10 years, there were not big opportunities. So they kind of became more, uh, uh, I don't want to say devastated, but uh, less optimistic. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, uh, there's a burnout, you know, I, I watched the, uh, uh, Laura's uh, 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 podcast on burnout. Uh, there's bigger feeling of burnout among those employees, even though they are younger. So that's mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing all that context. That was really interesting. Um, so one of the things that I think is so great about getting to study positive psychology is to learn about ourselves, right? That we get to not only you know, think about talking to people about it, but also it can apply to us, right? And so I was really curious about what aspects of positive psychology are you kind of personally working on or do you like really personally connect with um, kind of in, from a life philosophy perspective? Oh, from life philosophy perspective, uh, I think I'm a kind of Buddhistic uh, Confucianist. 
this is complicated, but anyway, I think I invented this term. Um, <laughs> so I combined Buddhism and Confucianism. So my values are uh, Confucianism. Uh, it's all about virtues, you know, uh, mm-hmm. duties and uh, integrity, uh, benevolence, justice, etc. Um, but uh, I think the methods of uh, um, the methods of Confucianism is boring they pretty much just do preaching and you have to do this uh, I, uh, gotcha. uh the, the buddhism methods are much better and cooler you know um uh, meditation <laughs> mindfulness so i use mm-hmm. meditation and mindfulness to nurture my confucianism virtues which i think worked very well on myself and then i actually combine it with the science so all the science about uh, your emotions, your cognition, the, the neuroscience, etc. And I think it worked pretty well. In, uh, I can see the emotions in myself and I can use mindfulness and meditation to make them to support my life uh, values. And uh, so this is actually the project that uh, I'm working on right now that uh, I'm trying to uh, uh, make this more systematic and more practicable so that I can teach them to other Chinese. Because actually it's much easier to teach positive psychology um, in China if you cite Confucius and Buddha than to cite Seligman or Freud. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, people can were like, okay, yeah, I can understand whatever the Confucianism said. Um, and then, uh, but the, the goal is the same. You just make people uh, live a happier, better, and uh, flourishing life. Use science and philosophy. Ah, that's wonderful. Wow, I'm impressed. You think th- this has been great. And, and as we're coming to a close, I'm going to ask uh, my favorite and final question of our interviews. Is there a question, a great question that we forgot to ask that you'd like to cover as we close up tonight? Oh, uh, actually, I have a question for you guys. Why is this uh, happy at work? Why is not uh, well-being at work? Because, uh, you know, in positive psychology, we typically want to take well-being as a goal rather than happiness. Yes, I'm with you. <laughs> we, we, we agree. We actually just had a conversation about that today. We were telling someone, oh, they don't really say happy anymore. It's all being and flourishing. The reason that we did it is that we thought that most people aren't aware that we've we've really moved into the well-being and flourish, and they're still sort of on the the happy smiley face. We thought for people clicking on the podcast, they would see happy at work easier. So really, it was just to spread the word. But we agree with you, Tessa. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I was gonna say it was it was a a big branding question more than anything else, and uh, the color yellow always grabs attention. So we thought you know, happy yellow. Um, but yes, we, we just talked about this today that it should be well-being as well. And we, we did keep the smiley face off because I know that drives Marty crazy. So if you ever watch the <laughs> podcast, <laughs> I don't want the email. <laughs> you, yep. you can, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with it. And, and we'd love to touch base with you in a few months and see you know, what new things are, are happening that we could be sharing with our audience and you know, if we ever get to fly again, I'm sure we will probably within the next year. Uh, let's get together, or go sailing, and you know, have some hot pot. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Positive intervention. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. Absolutely, <laughs> sounds Excellent. awesome. Thank you so much. That was so wonderful. And thank, thank you for you for having me. Yeah. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.